the history of personal computing. History, history, history. History of Personal Computing. This is part two of show 15 of the History of Personal Computing podcast. We discussed the Commodore 64 and our eBay fines. But for, yeah, hey, if you have any questions, if you're a VIC 20 user, uh, those listening or, or had one or even have a similar story, don't forget to give us feedback at uh, feedback at history of personal computing.com or on our Twitter, on our Facebook, or even on the uh, the the article on our website when this gets posted or write another podcast and tell them about it <laughs> yeah the big 20 podcast that's right <laughs> all right your experience anyway. On... anyway well so now i'm going to talk about the counter 64 but of course yes, this this got old eventually this involves you too basically yes. right because you you i guess logically maybe like a lot of vic 20 owners i'm going to assume probably moved up to the counter 64 yes i was stationed at my first duty station in the army and I wanted a computer. I didn't have my VIC-20 with me. So I put a 64 on layaway. Did you ever consider anything else? No. No, nope, it was absolutely a Commodore 64. Because I saw the Commodore 64 being advertised while I was still in high school. And I wanted it. Why? Because William Shatner was selling it. Did they offer any type of incentive, like the trade-in your VIC-20 or something like that? Do you remember? No. And even if they did, I couldn't because I was in Texas. My VIC-20 was in Pennsylvania. So... The VIC-20 sold around a million computers. And in just that one year, 1982. Yeah, and, um, which was remarkable and, a, and a, I guess, a, a um, record. They were doing about 9,000 a day. But the Commodore 64 ended up being the best-selling computer of all time. It even is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the highest-selling single computer model of all time. Some Go estimates Commodore. have been as high as 30 million units sold. But most conservative estimates put the number somewhere between 17 and 20 million from what I found. The Commodore 64 was also known as the C64, then later the 64C, when it received a case redesigned to match that of the C128. It was first introduced in January 1982 at the Winter CES. Um, as, as you mentioned, Jeff, the Consumer Electronics Show, which used to be very big. And it wasn't just for computers, of course. It was for all kinds of consumer electronics. But um, Jack Trammell obviously was a big fan. <laughs> and uh, He knew where to market this stuff. He knew yeah. where to show everything off. Um, production began in volume a few months after the show in early 82. And the computers began to be released to market in August at a price of U.S. $595, which is about $1,500 today. So a pretty good, I mean, that's a lot of money. You know, but it still was a pretty remarkable machine for that little bit of money because computers were, you know, were a lot more money back then. And that's about how much my parents spent in total in 1981 for the VIC-20 and everything they got with it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably but for a what, bit higher. what the Commodore 64 did out of the box, though. Oh, it was remarkable. Was, yeah. yeah. So the C64 dominated the low-end computer market for most of the 1980s, and for a substantial period between 1983 and 19, to 1986, it had between 30 and 40% share of all personal computers. It was selling over 2 million units a year. 
this was rocking more, them. Yeah, this was more than the IBM PC and compatibles, Apple computers, and Atari's uh, 8 bit family of computers. Okay. Whoops, I made a typo there. <laughs> the Commodore 64 has been compared to the Ford Model T for its role in bringing a new technology to middle class households via creative mass production. With its release and growth, approximately 10,000 commercial software titles were brought to market. Now, in fairness, <laughs> as I say, you know, you do have to sort of think of, and this, of course, happened with lots of other uh, series and families of computers, but the Commodore 64 was kind of like the VIC 20, you know, improved. So, really, yeah. it's similar case design, too. Yeah, a lot of his success was certainly on the back of the VIC 20. Well, the VIC 2 chip, that's. It was built around a second-generation VIC video chip. Yeah. So it was the VIC-2 chip uh, that gave Commodore 64 a lot of its special powers. So now I'm quoting from a really great site that I found. There'll be a link in the show note. And the the uh, the title is called Commodore 64, the best-selling computer in history. And it's from Commodore.ca, a really great all-around Commodore site. Oh, yeah, I've been there. That's That's a really good one. And uh, so the quote is, the 64 began its design life in January of 1981 when MOS technology engineers decided they needed a new chip project. MOS's Albert Charpentier, I think I'm saying it right. I, I don't know. It might be right. I always thought it was more of a French sound like oh, Charpentier. Probably. Yeah. Yep. I bet you you're right. And we're probably both wrong. He was responsible for several of the highly successful VIC-20 chips. And he's quoted as saying, we were fresh out of ideas for whatever chips the rest of the world might want us to do, so we decided to produce the state-of-the-art video and sound chips for the world's next great video game. Why not? By November of 1981, the chips were completed, but Commodore's president, Jack Tramiel, decided against using them in the faltering arcade game market. Instead, he tasked engineers with developing a 64-kilobyte home computer for show at the Winter Consumer Electronics Show, CES, the second week of January 1982, just six weeks away. <laughs> so they did that in just six weeks, which again, I think sort of proves how they basically took the VIC-20 as a starting pl place and then they took, and they basically upgraded it with, you know, the newer chips. Yes. I'm making assumptions here, but six weeks, I mean, come on, they kind of sort of had to. Oh, they probably had engineers night and day. So you can probably speak to this a little bit more, Jeff, about some of the, um, the specs here. So it had a uh, 6510, MOS technology 6510 slash 8500, which is basically a modified 6502 with an integrated 6-bit I.O. port. Yeah, a few more opcodes, but still it was 6502 assembly language you could use on it. But that was, was that the, the same chip? It wasn't, I don't think it's pin compatible, but if you... Essentially a um, raw improved version. Yeah, other than the graphics, you know, putting text on the screen and the graphics, it would still run the same opcodes as the 6502. Just I think it had a few more, a few more functions. So there, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I, could I cut out? No, I thought so. But so its clock speed is uh, so I went ahead and quoted. I didn't go too technical with the specs, but this is kind of interesting. So it's 0.985 megahertz in PAL and 1.023 megahertz for NTSC. Yeah, that's that video timing because it's all keyed around being able to generate video. Am I still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I actually had the, uh, I muted it to yell at my family to keep it down in the kitchen. Anyway, <laughs> 
So yes, and also as far as this video went, it was an MOS Technology VIC-2 chip, which was the 65, 67, 85, 62 NTSC. And then it was a different one for PAL. I'm not going to read it off. Yeah, they had, what, two different runs of the chip. So the older chip style was the 65 series, the newer chip style was the 85 series. And Yeah, and they were different. And that makes sense that there were different chips for the different... Uh, speeds of the refresh rates and all that for PAL versus NTSC frames per minute and everything. So they're, they're essentially the same chip, just for different output, I guess. Yes. Um, so it did 16 colors. Um, it had 40 by 25 characters for text mode, and then it could do 320 by 200 for bitmap modes. Which is a better standard. Yeah, 16 colors at once, too. So you yeah. can have 16 character colors. So they've improved that. And for low-end color, that pretty much set the standard. Uh, that yes. kind of was the standard 1982. Well, some of the colors were even just shades of certain colors. They actually used some kind of uh, video timing on the NTSC side because and everything works off of angles. And they were able to hit certain angles of signal. They could get certain colors. And that's kind of how those colors stemmed. That, that's, that gets a little too technical. But you know, that's the reason why you have like certain shades of gray, a couple shades of blue, but you don't seem to have an equal amount of shades of every primary color. They're just kind of here and there. Now, also, it, it could do eight hardware sprites of 24 by 21 pixels. And then if you did That's where the gaming came in, yep. It would do less. So these were hardware-generated sort of graphic building blocks. Just like the Atari's player missile graphics. Yeah, so that was utilized or quite a bit. Similar to. Right early on, I think, to do easier programming. To generate graphics yeah, the, and all. The multicolor mode, and, and the VIC-20 had the multicolor mode too. And what they did, in order to have enough bits to represent more than two colors, which a bit would be like one, either a color on or, uh, or the background color, multicolor mode, they had to use two bits to get four separate colors per bit. But the sacrifice was you had double wide pixels. So in multicolor mode, that's why the resolution changes in half horizontally. So now moving into the sound chip, and this has probably been, you know, the graphics were good on the Commodore 64, but this chip and this feature of the Commodore 64 is probably why it's been so long lived. You know, why people still mess with it for chip tunes and, uh, you know, messing around with sound. It was the SID yeah, chip. People are still salvaging them. Yeah, the 6581 or 8580 SID chip. It had a full three channel synthesizer with a programmable ADSR envelope. It could do eight octaves, four wavelengths per audio channel, waveforms rather, sorry, triangle, sawtooth, variable, pulse, and noise. I mean, I think even, you know, the Macintosh, when it shipped, it had a pretty advanced sound chip for 1984, but I think arguably the SID chip was still even more advanced. You could wave shape. So, yeah. And, and then you can have more than one channel of noise. Like the VIC-20 had one channel of noise. But if you wanted yeah. two different channels of noise with different frequencies you could do that you could just make each channel what you want it had oscillator oh, oscillator Oscill synchronization i don't you know ring modulation that you know i tried looking into that when i had mine and i still don't know the details but i think it had something that lets you take external audio and synchronize with that audio somehow to create new sounds i think it was put into the chip but not really completely utilized maybe a few programmers tap that to uh you know get some special effects but it it allowed somebody with some very with a lot of time and creativity to make that chip make sounds that you couldn't believe it would make 
It also had a programmable filter that could do high pass and low pass, band pass, and notch filter, if you know what that is. Yes. Then I link off in the show notes to the, all the full specs in the Wikipedia article. And uh, obviously had 64K of RAM. I got lazy. I decided just to link off at this point. So obviously it has 64K of RAM. Um, you had 38K that was available for basic. It says minus one byte. Huh. Okay, so I guess not a full 38K. That's interesting. 512 bytes color RAM. Memory allocated for screen color data storage. Anyway, there's, there's lots more info here. It had a 20 kilobyte uh, ROM in it as well which included basic 2.0, which in a lot of early reviews, people complained about that. It was I, the basic and uh, basic ROM and the kernel ROM. Um, and I guess it's, it's basic. Wasn't really that advanced. No, actually it was, um, I think Commodore licensed basic for the Vic 20 for the, and for the pet from Microsoft with a one shot license. Uh-huh. And they just kept, adapting it to they adapted the pet version to the vic 20 and then adapted it to uh the 64 so they didn't have to pay for a per unit license which microsoft really wish they would have gotten in the first place mm. yeah so, so they were smart um it's io ports are i think very similar to the vic 20s right with very the, close the, the rom cartridge port. well the expansion port was different but the user port the uh, disk drive port um the video port actually added a few extra lines. It would still use the VIC-20 stuff, but the Commodore 64 one actually had not only composite, but it also had S-video capable uh, output. We had the separate color and, and well, chroma luma, they call it. Um, but you can use a VIC-20 video cable in the 64, but you couldn't use a full, full version 64 cable in a VIC-20. Hmm. And uh, if you look at the Wikipedia article, it, it shows the pictures some pictures of some of the basic peripherals you could get, which um, obviously Commodore made a full range of uh, you know data sets and then later uh, floppy drives. Um, so starting with the earliest 1541 and then later like a 1541 II. Um, the, the modems, different modems, the Vic modem is, is um, shown here. Also a Commodore printer and obviously the, video, the uh, displays. So at this point they weren't stereo. But they are very good quality display, color displays. Yeah, the 1902 and the 1702 monitors. And the neat thing was, because of the standards for the, the interface for the peripherals, the cassette recorders would work interchangeably between the VIC-20 and the 64. So when you upgraded from the VIC-20, if you bought the disk drive for the VIC-20 and you bought a printer that works in the VIC-20, you can use it on the Commodore 64. So you had an upgrade path, which is incentive enough to upgrade to a Commodore 64. Huh. Now, see, I got into the Commodore 64 only having the VIC-20 and a data set. So I ended up buying a Commodore 64 and a data set for that, too, because they were in two different places in the in the country. And then eventually save up money for a disk drive. But, yeah, they're still interchangeable. It's a mild issue between the VIC-20's 1540 disk drive because of a timing issue. But you can actually send a command to that disk drive, and it'll work on a Commodore 64. And the Commodore 64, it was on sale for quite a number of years. It, it definitely, obviously, they sold a ton of them, made a lot of money. But, you know, you got to think by the mid-80s and well into the late 80s, it, it started getting a little old. And, uh, you know, comparatively, it was it was more, it probably became more of a glorified gaming console, I think, for most people. So it was, a, you know, a gaming platform as well as just a little computer you could mess around with. That's 
Would you say that was fair? Maybe people. Yeah, so there, using there were a couple late exceptions, 80s. but it was basically a gaming system that you could program. Yeah, you know, or or do some other basic stuff on, or go online or something, but um, but the so coming after the original C sixty four, of course, it got uh, redesigned in nineteen eighty six as the sixty four C, and they redesigned the case, and I think it was also a cost reduced. Um, Model. Yeah, they used fewer RAM chips because they were cheaper in design, and they did some rearranging in, on the internals. But yeah, it allowed them to make it a lot cheaper just by redesigning it to uh, newer devices that match the specifications. But Commodore also created the first portable color computer with the SX64. Yes, I have one of those. They're great. Yeah, me too. It's one of my all-time favorites. It was a, a very, very cool computer. It was a luggable, so not a laptop or anything. But, um, you know, so what came after, we'll cover it, I guess, in later shows. Of course, the C-128 uh, came out later on. And then, of course, Commodore moved, for the most part, moved all their attention to Amiga. And I think yes. we talked about in our earlier show, or did we, about the pet, about sort we, of... They were yeah, just, we kind of gave the lineage. Um, but they just weren't effective with uh, advertising. I think they did, they did so well because of the price point and their retail outlets. But later on, they really did a... A bad job and we'll talk about that when i guess when we get there about you know with the 128 then the especially the amiga i think they just poorly marketed the amiga yeah and if i may add one one thing here we we're talking about how the commodore 64 was basically a game machine and it was but well i mean later on i mean no no i'm, I'm talking strictly commodore 64 yeah uh, i know well i knew of one person who actually used a commodore 64 for business yeah in, oh yeah in the 90s and oh. I had most of his stuff. I, I got he passed away. His wife had all this stuff. She wanted to get rid of it. She was nearby, and she gave it to me. She posted uh, like a, a an ad in some Yahoo group, and I just happened to respond to it. And I got all his stuff. But when I got all his stuff, I got all this Commodore sixty four stuff, the SX sixty four. I got a big old DP was it DMP or DPS eleven oh one Daisy Wheel wide carriage printer for the Commodore sixty four. Wow. And yeah, he used this, quality. I, it is, and it had the little spinny daisy wheels and stuff. I never fired it up. It's in good shape, but I just, I have to fire it up someday. But he was a dentist, I believe, and he used it for all his, I have a lot of his software that he used to keep track of his business records. The problem is the data records are password protected, and I don't know the password. <laughs> I mean, I could probably figure it out if I look at the code, but it, I still have it. But he used it into the mid '90s as a business computer. I guess if it worked, if it if it, it still did its intended purpose, then you know, it wasn't. And broken. it just shows the longevity of it, it, it. How how and a game machine running a business. It was just amazing what it did. Well, just to, so to clarify, though, so I mean, obviously, lots of people did do useful business related things with them. But I think as we got it, as it got older, like say, well into the late '80s, and even even into the early nineties, then for most parts, you probably didn't have too many people that purchased it to try to do serious things with other, cause you got to admit, even when the Nintendo NES came out in the mid eighties, I, I would say the Commodore 64 was still a more arcade quality gaming platform. Yeah. You know, it was the, a little more the graphics could be a lot, could be better. Were, yeah, were better. That's what I meant. The, the design architecture, yeah, with the large sprites where Nintendo worked with tiny little block characters and you, you could tell that, but yeah, yeah they each had their own limitations, but the Commodore 64 just had some versatility uh, to it that Nintendo didn't because Nintendo's strict marketing and, you know, they, they controlled 
their market tightly. Whereas Commodore 64, open architecture, mm -hmm. everybody did everything for it. But definitely, if you look at old Commodore magazines, old computer magazines, you can see that there is definitely a, a huge user base out there that were doing productivity things with the Commodore yeah. 64. What magazine can you get that you can type in your own Nintendo game? <laughs> so a little more from Wikipedia. This is a quote. Uh, it says, Byte in July 1983 stated that Quote, the 64 retails for $595. At that price, it promises to be one of the hottest contenders in the under $1,000 personal computer market. It described Sid as a true music synthesizer. The quality of sound has to be heard to be believed. While criticizing the use of Commodore Basic 2.0, the floppy disk performance, which is, quote, even slower than the Atari 810 drive, unquote, and Commodore's quality control. And um, I didn't put notes in the show notes about it, but... Um, you can definitely find information about some of the earliest Commodore 64s and, and ongoing that they certainly had some, at different times in the production, some lax quality control. <laughs> More so yeah. in the early <laughs> days. But even later on, they, you know, I don't remember, I remember reading one time, I think at its worst, they were doing like 20% were being returned for just a little while. But they, but they took care of it. You know, they fixed it. And Commodore was a good company anyway. I think they would take care of their customers overall. Yeah, they, they did do that. Um, oh, one other thing too is the SID chip that was designed by Bob Yanis, the one who made the MicroPed for that became the VIC 20. Same guy. Hmm. Um, so you mentioned this in, uh, in, in your VIC 20 piece about a different kind of market. So not only was the VIC 20 and then C64 the economy price leaders for personal computers, they were also different as to where they were sold. Instead of being retailed at just computer stores or electronics outlets, they were sold in regular retail and department stores. Commodores were even sold at toy stores. You didn't mention that one. So you had, of course, Toys R Us and you had Lionel. And, That's uh, where I got my printer for my Commodore 64. Yeah, and what was a couple of the other ones that were in the malls? You had, you had a couple other, you know. K KB Toys? Yeah. And um, what other and, ones were there? And, of course, at those stores, we're going to – in the near future, talk about the Mattel Aquarius and the Coleco Atom. You would have found those there too. Yeah, in your local department store, Montgomery Wards, whether they were national or not. Montgomery yeah, we Wards, had them at least in Florida, where I'm from. Ames, we had Hills in this area that sold them. Yeah, Sears, um, I want to say JC Penney's too, but I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, they, they, they sold computers for a while. That's where I got my TI-99. They were, they were selling computers for a while. And um, Kmart, you mentioned. Yes, and um, it was... It was it was a blue light special. It was at a Kmart that I got the little mini third party. It was like a pl printer plotter. It printed on five inch wide roll paper and it had these little pens that it would draw. It would actually write characters if you're printing text listing yeah. or draw circles and all sorts of other shapes. I Yeah, Kmart was a go-to place for me to get games and accessories. I think I bought my Forbidden Forest game. For the Commodore 64 at a Kmart. And tell me if you had these, and I'm not I'm not exactly sure if um, you know, back then you didn't really have a, a big Walmart like you do now. You know, Kmart's almost out of business. Not now. in this area, but, yeah. but did was... you have um Zare? Uh no. So I don't not sure. Zare was another sort of Kmart in the old days, at least in Jacksonville, Florida. And there was also pick and save. <laughs> did you have those? That sounds familiar. That I might have, have been a them when I was stationed in, in the South. Might have been a southern thing. Uh, so like Piggly Wiggly, but they probably did. Yeah, we had so. those. Um, 
So cultural impact. The Commodore 64 served as the starter platform for a great deal of people. For some people, it was simply the best cheap computer they could get their hands on to do basic things, like play arcade-quality games, word processing, finance, and even desktop publishing. But for others, it was their introduction to a lifelong hobby or career in music production, programming, game development, database management, and more. For many, it was also their introduction to the world of BBSs. That ties in with, with your other show. And the online world of Quantum Link. Yes, they also, um, BBS's Commodore's defined sort of a graphic standard with the Petsky graphics yeah. to create multicolor screens for BBS's. Oh, and that kind of turned into the NC graphics later on? The DOS world? Well, I think they, they yeah, one, one chicken egg, you know, it's one of those things. I think anti graphics were capable earlier with the, uh, before the Commodore 64, but probably after the VIC-20. Um, but they each had their own reasons to exist and if some of our um if some of our listeners didn't know it the quantum link online um service q link it it became america online it became huge yes and quantum link was reborn uh, about a decade ago but unfortunately yeah and it went down again it went down i i got to try it out it was neat it re- reminded me of when i used to spend a lot of money to use it but um it it was a ni- it was nice to reminisce the guy who did it who was the guy who did it i forget uh, jim brain did he do it he was a big I, he was a big guy i remember when big... it, i remember when it was going on but no i don't know who it was there were some big players in the commodore 64 you got to remember this is the time of the i don't remember decade where everything was like you had big names in magazines so many magazines out which catered to these 8 bit computers commodore 64 definitely one of them a majority of or not a majority but a, a large player in it and then you had all these big names in software and hardware that people who had those computers knew who the big names were. And it's nice that, that, that some of them were still around for a while and were able to do things. Um, okay, so here's the, um, the last part of my segment was uh, Hamilton Davies sent in. And so he wanted to tell us about uh, – I'll just read it. <laughs> Yes, he reminded us something that we probably would have forgotten. <laughs> it, it also sparked the interest of a young engineer named Jerry Ellsworth to create a hardware-based Commodore 64 emulator called the C64 Directed TV, or DTV for short. She actually built, I think, was it called the Commodore 1 before that? Which so, sort of yeah, like... Yeah, that's right. They were going to have like a modular Commodore emulator platform yeah, or something. Yeah, which, which was sort of a, a, a prototype, if you will, like a board where she basically recreated... You can put like a Commodore 64 cartridge in, it becomes a Commodore 64. Yeah. A Commodore Amiga cartridge in, it becomes a Commodore Amiga. It, it came in a case that resembled a popular joystick called Competition Pro and has a complete Commodore 64 emulator programmed on an FPGA. Which, what's that stand for, Jeff? Uh, field Programmable Gate Array. Okay. Basically, it's a, it's a microprocessor. It's like a chip that you can program to become any circuit you want it to be. Well, and so someone who's not a programmer or knows a lot about that, like myself, you could compare it to like an Arduino, sort yes. of. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Arduino on steroids. It, it runs on four AA batteries and plugs straight into the composite audio video connections on a TV. And I have one that I have not broken out in quite a while. And you know what? I'm glad I own a retro TV now. I think about it because, or else I wouldn't have any place to plug the thing in to play it. Well, some newer TVs still leave the composite. Um, Maybe they do. I don't the, know if well, ours do. I have you? a couple that do. It's it's the yellow connector. Also, some modern TVs that have component video. Yeah. With, with, with the five 
RCA jacks. Oh yeah. One of them might become composite. I think that one of them defaults to composite. But that would only give you video, right? Way. Yeah, but then then you have the audio connectors that just go into the audio side for that whatever that channel input is, oh, okay. or whatever that. But it, it does work. I, I've had it hooked up to my 65-inch 3D TV already. It's not in 3D, but it's big. Um, it, it, I was able to see a giant Commodore 64 screen. Now, the nice thing about this, it had like 30 games that it booted up into a menu. I actually saw the Commodore screen, and it would say load star, uh, star comma 8 comma 1, which is a common loading sequence to load off a disk drive. And it would load a list, a menu list of games with like Sid music in the background and everything. And you could pick from it, but it had a secret mode that if, when you turned it on, if you wiggle the joystick back and forth real quick, it will drop you into a Commodore 64 main screen and you can actually type characters using the joystick, uh, to write programs. Hmm. And it was designed with a few hardware Easter eggs. You can actually, if you wanted to open it up, solder a few components you can hook up a ps2 um, based ibm compatible keyboard and type directly you can actually turn this little thing into a commodore 64 and people have done that they've put this thing into a real commodore 64 case and sort of retrofit this that oh and the, other. the crazy things people do crazy. now they don't make it anymore so if you do this and you break it you don't yeah. have it anymore um, and besides, so you can, we're I, about to go to the eBay. You know, you can probably you can get a real Commodore sixty four for nothing. Probably, we're doing something new this but, time, so I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So here's a few links. I guess we need to move on. We're getting kind of we're over. Um, I put a link about. Do you remember the whole thing about the Commodore sixty four coming back? A new Commodore sixty four, and it would yes. be it would run. It was a modern computer, and then it would run. You know, they kind of they kind of build it on the same look. Uh, the same look and shape, but they threw in some Commodore emulation, but at the same time, it's an IBM compatible with uh, decent features. Yeah, well, somehow they you know, they got the license to Commodore with the logo. They owned it and everything. And so it was founded in April of 2010. There's a link to the, just a Wikipedia article about it. And then they started introducing, I, I guess some people actually bought them. I know they got some reviews. I, I don't think it, it did very well. They were well. pricey. Yeah, because yeah, it was like five or six hundred bucks, and then you know, and honestly, desktop computers weren't really were going away anyway for comparatively for laptops anyway, and um and then what I found out was that one of the founders or key people died, and I think that's what pretty much oh, killed it off. The yeah. driving force behind it, Barry Altman, died in December of twenty ten. I didn't, yeah, I didn't hear about, it, or I didn't remember that. So the last news release and information they had put out was in March of twenty twelve. And then, I'm sorry, 2010 is when they were started. And he died in, like, December of 2012. So maybe he got real sick or I don't know. Now, these things had i7 microprocessors. Uh, yeah, like yeah, i7, Intel, was it the i7 CPU? Um, the neat thing is you look at their Commodore 64-looking case. It looks like a Commodore 64, except something's a little odd. It's the five-row keyboard and the five function keys instead of the four function keys and how they managed to wedge in the the uh, windows key or yeah it, it's a, it's a neat design and i know that design delivered um it'd be cool to see one in person i think uh, it was but, just obviously it was a um uh, i'm going blank here what would you call it? a novelty you know yeah it's just not you know why would you want why not just 
or I mean, maybe I, I would think a pure reproduction would probably sell better. Yeah. Then, well, the other so, thing they did with this is they they sold it in different styles. That you could buy the whole thing complete with their motherboard in it and be ready to go, or yeah. you can buy just the case and you can stick in your own mini ATX motherboard. But they still wanted like three or four hundred dollars for the custom design case with the keyboard. Yeah. So okay, so what was the next one I got? Oh, plus I put did a link to a Kickstarter project that ended actually recently, where uh, he was. Oh, selling... did it end? Yeah, it oh, ended I, didn't get... I think April second or something. So just like a week ago, and it did very well. I don't know why this is so slow loading up here. Our oh, well, our, our newfangled eBay segment is going to be slow. Is yours going slow? Uh, no, not really. So well, 700, just... 700, it's me then. Somebody's doing something in the house. 797 backers pledged $94,000 to help bring this project to life. But you think it's kind of interesting that he chose to go with the 64C? I guess he he did fine. Uh, you know? That was the only molds he found. He, he actually found these molds. He picked them up. They were being sold or getting ready to be destroyed. And he acquired them oh, from some read that. company that had them. And... So they were the molds for the 64C, the newer, the slightly newer design. Mm -hmm. So he found a company that will do injection molding in different colors using these molds. And he's running X amount per color. I think it's like 5,000 per color for like five colors, including transparent. And now I'm mad that I didn't get in on it. <laughs> I, was like I bet you fence. he'll sell them after the fact too. He might. Well, we'll see. He might, like if he has a few left or something. Um, because the numbers don't add up. He had what, how many backers? 797 backers. Well, some people probably bought more than one, so the math yeah. probably went that and way. And someone does ask, like, what if I took a, a uh, previous Commodore 64 to put it inside as a donor machine? So he answers that, I guess, that maybe you'll, you'll be able to do it. So, but either way, I have a 64C somewhere. It's probably got a dark yellow case now, you know, sitting around. Oh, mine looks very good. It probably kept it in the shade. So, <laughs> Another link is how you can put your C64 online. You've probably heard of this. It's from a company called Go4 Retro or Retro Innovations. Their website is go4retro.com. Yes. I have their Zoom floppy product. Okay. Yep. So they have a number of products. Check it out. And this has got uh, this is the 64 NIC plus network card. Full Ethernet. And then I see over on the right hand side it says recent Facebook activity. And one of the things is Quantum Leak Reloaded. So maybe, I wonder, let's see, does it say anything? That's that, that new old? Quantum Link thing, yeah. But that was a few years ago, so there's nothing really there, though. So I don't know what that's about. Okay, there's no so real information the, there. <laughs> it's so, empty. Oh, darn. I was hoping it was coming back again. Okay, so let me get rid of these. And uh, I also put a link to a great free Commodore eMag. Did you know that existed? Commodore Free. I did, and I haven't read a single one. It's one of those things. Go like, there. Where can it, I find... Where can I find time to read it? <laughs> yeah, so it's issue, issue 86. If you click on the link in the show notes, excuse me, it'll actually open the PDF in your web browser and you can start reading. So look at that. Now that's full a color. Slow for now. Full color, Unless, nice uh, Commodore magazine in 2015. I got 27 seconds, 26 seconds yet to go. 20, I'm downloading this at 1200 baud. And lastly, I put a link to a Flash Base C64 on the web. Oh, that'd be nice for emulation. So check that out. It's a live demo, and I guess it looks oh, like oh, it's and it's released in GPL. Hey, I might be able to put it on our website. Yeah, and you can load like I'm loading Hacker right now. Let's see how it goes. That's cool. Wow, oh, it's messing up though. Is it actually loading? 
Let's see. I got to So how turn. do they do That's what amazes me. There it goes. Oh, there it is. The game hacker. How do they do that? <laughs> well, the, that... the, the action script three, whatever that is, I'd have to look that up to find out more. But my guess is it's kind of like Java in a way, or it's kind of like, well, it's Flash. Yeah. So it's action script three. It's probably Flash subset. So yeah, they're writing it in Flash. Um, and it's probably running that fast that it can do it in a browser on today's computers. So I loaded the game Hacker, and all it does is it comes up with login, please. Have you ever played that? Yeah. How do you, how do you had, get in? Do you know? You had to figure your way in. It, I I haven't played it much. I think I've seen it at like one of those crazy um, user group uh, pirating software sessions from the 80s. I'm trying the word. I tried login. It's not going to work. Yeah, how Did you, you try just, uh, Joshua? How are you supposed to just guess um, how to log in? How about God? How about Joshua? Remember? Uh, Do you think it's really based on? Uh, who yeah. knows? Joshua. No, I misspelled it. Log in, please. How are you supposed to just figure out a login? That's how the game starts anyway. Let's hear from you. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. So lastly. Probably um, came with instructions. So moving along, let's go for it. What we decided to do, Jeff, your idea is we're going to do live eBay browsing. And then I guess we'll paste the um, links in here. Yeah, which ones we decide to pick. For the show notes. So let's give it a shot. How about... Um, and we'll about, see if we get two different sets of results. I go first, don't I? Okay, I'm going to do Commodore 64. I'm going to go C64. All right, eBay search. So you're going to just do C64, right? Yeah, so C dash six four. So there's seven thousand two hundred forty one results. I'm going to zoom in over here to computers. I got the same amount. All right. And then I'm going to go vintage computing. Now we got eight thirty seven, and then I'm going to go vintage computers and mainframes, and that's bringing it down to three hundred eighty six results. Oh, and then and I there's can... an Apple II listed. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody probably put Commodore sixty four so they can sell it. And so now I can, if I highlight Commodore sixty four, there's forty. Seven. Why would Commodore One Twenty Eight be under a C sixty four search? Because it supports that mode, and you know how people name things on eBay. They put as many keywords as they can, so they get placed in the ranks. Yeah. So here we go. I'm at forty seven results for C sixty four in you know vintage computing and our vintage computers and mainframes. So there's a buy it now SX sixty four with original box tested and working four hundred dollars. I think that's way too much. Yeah, buy going it now. Into so it. I, I don't believe buy it now until I see them sell. Here's a vintage Commodore 64. I'm reading what it says, Commodore C64, C Space 64, 1999. Here's one in the box, working condition, $75. Oh, we're, are we going to look at the new ones or are we going to look at the complete Well, ones? I was just going to go through it real quick and then go. Okay. Uh, I'll jump over to... Uh, yeah, so let me jump over to sold and we'll see what they've done. There should be Ooh, like somebody lots Somebody has of... an easy flash for the Commodore 64 for 40 bucks. Buy it now. So what That's I'm where doing you can is store games and, and files onto flash memory and load it up like you had it on a disk drive. On the left hand side, there's uh, I can show only, and I'm going to show only sold listings, not completed listings, sold list, sold yep. listings, so we can see what the stuff sold for. So I'm going to do wow recent first. So one sold for thirty bucks, just a plain old C64, and uh, looks like maybe the price is going up a little bit. Here's one with the AC power unit, seventy dollars. $202 for SX-64. Is that what the SX-64 is worth now? Wow, here's a, shipping. here's a 64C with a 1541-2. Cables, games, more, tested good. Okay, 179 Really? That and still surprises even, me. 
Yeah, because it's not in the best of shape. I mean, it's buy it now, so one person obviously thought it was worth it. It looks a little yellowed. It, yeah. Well, oh, see, I see now that's the that's the version that you can use to get that you know special case that that guy has on Kickstarter. Yeah. And then um, there's a bunch of cartridges in here. Well, look, here's a complete Commodore 64, 5401 drive, joysticks, all cables. Again, I'm not digging in yet. This is just... It's like the numbers are all over the place. $163. On... But that's surprising. I guess they've really gone up. I think with a Commodore, you might still be better off trying to just sit it out, look at Craigslist, and maybe get one locally for a lot cheaper. Or, or your flea markets. You'll, you'll see them at a flea market. Somebody's got one. Here's a real nice 64C and 1541 too in the box. With, oh, with covers and stuff. 152 it sold for. Okay, I see that one. Yeah, that's that's nice. A nice matching set, too. So, um, yeah, wow. And make sure when you get your Commodore 64 with your disk drive, you find a fast load cartridge or a Mach 5 cartridge. Yeah. Because uh, they actually speed up. I've got a couple loading. of those. Oh, there's a final cartridge three. I have one of those. I didn't know they're worth forty five bucks. Look, there's a number of sixty four C's on here tested and all that. Someone Oh, it's the same description. I wonder if this person came across a few of them. And they're selling for sixty nine dollars. Yeah, here's a box, an older style. The older box come uh, boy, I have a couple of those boxes empty. Uh so yeah. boxes. So I can just take one of the old uh sixty fours that I have, shove it in one of those boxes. Add nine games with box, which I'm sure I got in baskets, uh, and get 130 bucks for it. Well, these <laughs> things are selling for. Uh... Okay, well, well, there you go. Let's see. I got one more search, don't I? So, so I guess we're both basically surprised at some of the prices these are going for because for for 17 to 20 million of them in, that were in existence once, you think their prices would be a lot lower, but there there must be a resurgence of that I know I don't know about it. But there's got to be something driving this. Uh, maybe a, a second, a next generation of nostalgia, or a next boost of nostalgia. So what? Maybe I should just leave it at that, huh? What? What, what, what else did I search for? Yeah, really. Uh, unless you want to look specifically for something. Uh, I got one. I already have. I, a, I got okay. one. I'll do a search that that I like. So I'll stick. So I'm staying in the this category under you know sold. So I'm gonna do. I'm gonna back out and say. Now you could do a different search. I'm going to say Commodore, um, and now I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going broke. I'm going blank. What was it I was about to search for? Um, Not the 120, the 16. Like a text adventure? No, like software. Oh, okay. Uh, like Sky Infocom. Oh, Infocom. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say Commodore Infocom, and um, I'm just going to go the the full vintage computing. All right. So I brought up 11. So here's some like, um, oh, here's the original Infocom suspended mask, hundred and one dollars. That's actually pretty cheap. Are you familiar with that one? Hang on, which which you were doing all categories or just vintage computing? Oh, here I'll put this link in the show notes, and then you and everybody else can check it out. There we go, eleven results. Because I I, I got I also let's see I was in the vintage uh, computers and mainframes and I saw the Infocom Enchanter trilogy yeah software for eighty three fifty I know these Infocom games are but worth a little bit I some sold of them myself and I've got twenty maybe thirty dollars for a couple of them because I had all the uh, uh, the feelies in them I highly recommend that if you get a Commodore or some other old machine that you get at least one Infocom game yes because that that defines the experience. Yep. 
All right. The way well, it was back then. Well, you take it away. So I just put okay. those links in the show notes, just the links. I'm going to keep the vintage computing uh, category, and I'm just going to type in VIC-20, no dashes, VIC-20. Let's see what we got here. Uh, 425 results. Okay, let's go. Let's see. Vintage computers and mainframes. It gets us down to 153. And, well, that's about... Lois, I'm going to go, whoa, what's this? Uh, Commodore VIC-20 computer, video game system, lot, controllers, 49 games, 100 bucks. Now, I think the VIC-20... And make sure you post the link. Yes. So, okay. uh, yeah, I'll stick with this link here. Uh, yeah, that way, so you can copy it. <laughs> let me let me uh, get back there and... Um, I got like 5,000 tabs open right now. Huh? And let's see, link that. There we go. Okay. Now you can I'll follow test it. along. Has a thirteen dollar eight thousand. Eight thousand. Really? Oh yeah, <laughs> one hundred and fifty-three. Oh, I my, when I clicked on it, it gave me eight thousand results. Oh. Oh, it didn't put anything in the search thing. That's weird. Oh, so. Oh, okay. Oh, let's try it again. Did I not link the? Whole oh, I thing? see. It says Vic Twenty. Wonder what the deal is. Well, I'm in vintage computers and mainframes. I'm in a subcategory under vintage computers, and oh, I'm under funny. sold listings. Oh, the link the link does is is it working for that though? Oh, yeah, they they encode a whole bunch of weird characters. I don't know why it, it copied over properly. The right text is there, but 153 results. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Yes. What did you have to do? I just stuck Vic Twenty in the um. In the search line, oh, yeah, yeah, because it's listed in the URL. Or did I forget to copy that? No, I'll, it's there. I'll try repasting it, and we'll see if it works. Okay. Oh, All right, so well, you go got ahead. A different. You got a different uh, link now. Yeah. So let's I'll, let me try it and see if it works. I don't know what's yeah. So that one. See, works. people, this is what we go through <laughs> when we try to set this up. All right, so uh, we, we go. To try it live results. this time, but okay. Uh, now you get to follow along. Um, Thirteen dollars and fifty cents. Look at that. Or Commodore Vic Twenty in a box, and I have one like that too. And I'm going to see if I can't find. And the data quarter. The two. If, if this one here, I'm going to try to look closer at this one. If this is the older or newer one, um, that you can tell the difference by looking at the the power supply, or if you can get a side view of it. Um, this one has the newer power connector it's a round din connector has six pins this one has the power supply entirely contained within um the outside brick um i want to see if i can and you can see the keyboard on this one um it kind of has sort of the commodore 64 style kind of the concave tops um but the these buttons are shinier than the commodore 64 the keys are shinier Shiny. so they, they have a different finish to them but they have that concave top that, I guess, fits your finger a little bit better. Let me see if I can't find one that um, has the older style keyboard. And then while you're while you're looking real quick, I just found one. It, it's described as vintage Commodore VIC-20 computer, new in box, plus games and extras. It only sold for 51 bucks. Really? $30 shipping would have been to me from Oregon. Oregon. Oregon, I guess. Listen to me. Yeah, and I'm zooming in on it. It looks really clean. That'd be nice to have, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, finding these that are um, not... On a bunch of cartridges with it and everything? These, these came out bright white. 
originally, but they tend to yellow over time. Mine, mine yellowed also, but to find one that's actually um, bright white still, um, it's very rare. Let's see. Is this the one that kind of has the... All right. Hmm. This looks like one like I have, but it's untested. It's missing keys, but I'm going to put the link in anyway just so you can see the differences. Um, pick almost any one in the first link don't do it that we post this one here it looks like somebody beat it up um and it's got a really long url um this particular one has the style like i have my first one and if you look at the side picture you'll see it says nine volts ac it plugs in and it almost looks like one of those electrical cord plugs that you would plug an old vcr or an old tape player from like the 80s um it had that kind of input. But if you look at the keys on this one, you can see they sort of have a square look with uh -huh. flat tops. That's the kind that I have. And, and the, uh, the label at the top of the computer is just like uh, black and gold. It doesn't have any color in it. That's hmm. the older label, too. Yeah. So that's kind of like what, my, what I have, except mine is in better shape. And mine is a little yellower. This one has the, the whiter looking case. But this is just the first example I found that has the older style, the clackety keys. You know, the ones that sound like this. And, and um, has that AC input on the side, which means it has a, has a heat sink underneath the expansion port that when you run it for a while, you put your hand back there, you'll know it's on. I wonder why they're trying to get so much for it. Missing keys and... They, Untested. This might be, you know, eBay's full of vendors that think they have something worth a lot of money. Priceless. It's that's right. He's charging only three dollars a key. Yeah, because you can get a nice one in a box and everything for about that. So if yeah, if you're a collector or if you want to collect Vic Twenty stuff, there's the two different versions that you can decide over. Um, it's. Do I have a particular recommendation? No. I know which one I have. I know which one I like. I have the the newer style of Vic 20 also. My wife bought it for me uh, a while back, and I still have that in its box. Um, I wish I had the original box for my first one. Um, that'd be worth a lot of money because it, it's a different style box. It was just like two foam halves with a slip sleeve over it, and it just said Vic 20. It didn't have any fancy color stuff, but actually, apparently that box is, is worth some money. Uh, but I don't have it because I didn't know any better. Um, hey, you know what? I'm I'm just noticing. Oh, this is a is this a Canadian Vic Twenty? But I'm just, I'm on. I just linked off on another one, and well, it says it's from Nebraska. No, this is a different one that I'm. Oh, you're looking, looking at, at a different one. Okay. That um on the bottom of it, it says made in the USA, and um it says Vic Twenty. There's no dash. Do they all are they all like that on the sticker on the bottom? Well, mine it says Vic Dash Twenty, and it actually says really? made in Japan. It says made in Japan. Oh, the, this one says made in U.S. You think this is like a real early one? Well, that's well, an early one you got. Mine's mine's an early one, and it says made in Japan, serial number five zero six eight nine one. Oh, this one, this is um, this must be a Canadian one. Huh. So it was made in a foreign country too. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, a lot of stuff to look at. So those would be my two links. Uh, uh, for eBay, the the list of completed listings, so you get a general idea of what Vic Twenty stuff goes for. It looks like for Commodore sixty four, if you want to get something that works reasonably well and gets you started, you're looking at maybe twenty to forty dollars with shipping. Vic Twenty 
slightly less. I think you ought to post a links like that too. Just the real long ones. And then it'll be like more surprising to people. <laughs> they, don't yeah. know, they don't know what they are exactly. Other we, than Vic 20. We and... handcrafted these links manually. Yeah. Yeah. The, the link is longer. The link <laughs> is longer than the, uh, the memory capacity of a stock Vic 20. Yeah. It's funny. All that code, that code stuff, I guess that eBay uses to, you know, it's yeah. Break it called, down to a, it's called a query string and it's parameters being passed everything after the question mark. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's it. There's usually a question mark in the link. Everything after the question mark or parameters, everything before it is usually a mapped path name or a, um, virtual path name. It's like, it's like, it has its own folder called, uh, a zero one eight seven two Commodore Vic 20 personal computer vintage untested missing keys as is, you know, that's treated like a folder name. Very cool. You learn something new on this show. That if, beat up uh, old Vic 20. This person's got 7,000 things for sale. He probably just picked, he, he probably thinks I think he it's has all something. junk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing about eBay. Somebody will buy it. Yeah. There must be like a, a surplus or a salvage dealer or something. Well, you know what? We have a problem. It's late. Well, that and the fact that we never decided how we're going to close the show. Oh, look, by the way, <laughs> that same seller's got a C16 for sale. Not to get off track. How, go. how many how many keys are missing on that? It looks in good shape with the box and everything. Uh, $75, buy it now. Free shipping. Nah. That's kind of a lot, isn't it? Uh, it might not be for Commodore 16, but it's more than what I want to spend for one. Because you can pretty much do pretty much nothing with it. Other than connect it and play with basic. You can, yeah, it's like a brand new Commodore with a whole new set of standards. Uh, if you want to try something different, get it. Um, I think it's closer to the plus four, but I don't think it's exactly like the plus four. No, um, it's more, it's more limited, isn't it? It has some limitations. I think it's, I think it was like the remake of the Vic 20. It was intended to be that way. So it has some limits, um, but it's, I think it's also more powerful than Vic 20. I, I actually I think somebody at Commodore had some time on their hands and slapped it together and and Jack said, "Well, we have parts. Let's just send a few of them out." We'll cover Wait, it on Jack the next show. Jack wasn't doing it at the time, was he? <laughs> it was under new management. Yeah. Um. Anyway, oh, you're right. We didn't put anything for our closing. Little. Well, we can just say little talk. <laughs> well, that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, October twenty second, nineteen eighty one. All right. Well, anyway, what do we decide for our next show? Well, for our next show, we're going to be doing again in two weeks, like we always do, or at least we try to do, which will be on Friday, April 24th. So I'll have some news from Vintage Computer Festival. Oh, yeah. Special, special segment. Yes. It'll be color glossy pages in our uh, podcast. Um, We'll be covering the TRS-80 color computer and the ZX Spectrum. I'll go to you, ZX. Cool. Because I know, I know uh, Carrington Vance is probably going to be upset at this whole show because we're talking all about Commodore stuff. <laughs> so I'll give him, uh, I'll throw him a bone here, and I'll call it the ZX Spectrum that we're going to use. Who asked him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he has a Made in USA uh, VIC-20. He's just not telling us about it. Anyway, um, our website is thehistoryofpersonalcomputing.com. Plus, follow us on both Twitter and Facebook. 
and send your feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. Really, uh, I told my story about my first computer. Oh, I didn't. I never did, did I? Um, Oh, I'm saying you as a general. I'm throwing that out there. But if you want to tell your first story, we have, we're up to about an hour and a half. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to try to remember. I think maybe I'll, I'll talk about it just real quickly at the beginning of next show. That'll work. I I owned two different, uh, Commodores, um, you know, as far as not where I collected them later on. So yeah, so I'd like to just, I'll mention that next time I forgot about it. Oh, but I did want to mention, so the, in, in a time order sequence, we're kind of skipping the IBM PC. So our next next show will be all about the IBM PC. It sort of gets its own show. The next the next next show. Yeah, yes. yeah, because that that there's a whole lot there to uh, talk about. That would definitely have its own show. Anyway, and it's our favorite, yes. both of ours. We love it. It's our absolute favorite computer that yeah. e- that ever existed. <laughs> I'll have to dig mine out so you can hear how that keyboard sounded. You got one. I, yes, I do. I have oh. a 51, was it 5150 or 5160 or whatever that you, is? You should keep the keyboard under your bed for, in case of intruders. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I actually have a few Model M keyboards. I'll just put them around the beds. When the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so you, you know what I'm saying? To hit them with it. <laughs> oh, that? Or if they step on them, they'll make a lot of noise, too. <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, it's you like could hit somebody with that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right. It had a big old metal piece in the bottom. Anyway. Um, Send us your feedback. I think I already said this. Feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. And please tell someone about us. Write a review on iTunes or spread the word with Facebook, Google+, or Twitter, or whatever future. Up and coming social network. Yeah. Social network of 2015, whatever that may be, we'll probably be on it. Perhaps you're in a specialty discussion group. Tell them. Of course you are. Till then, see you next time. And I am without a catchy exit phrase. Good night, everybody. That's good enough. It's it's been a long night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>